Welcome to another episode of Pit Lane Parlay. I am your host, Mike Jokum. Frenchie and Sarah are both here. We are going to talk about Texas. Fantastic weekend. We will do the race first, and then if there's any IndyCar news, which I don't know if there's too much right now, we can go over that afterwards. But first, let's start with predictions. Yeah, let's start with that. Uh, Because good weekend. I had Takuma Sato, who was the first person out of the race on <laughs> lap 46. Whoops. Nice. And you had Alex Pillow, who finished on the podium in third. So I would say you win. Baller. Wow. You swapped this week, guys. That's good. Hey, that's mean. That's not mean. It's truthful. It, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a fair point. Bad weekend. I had Ed Carpenter, who finished... 18th i believe no he finished 13th yeah he had a decent race you know wow quiet quiet but decent and then you had simon pagina who finished 17th i win that one too okay uh caution i said 30 laps you said 10 laps so i definitely win that because it was over 30 was it really that many yeah, I'm adding it up right now. 12 laps plus 14 is 26 plus 9 is 35 plus 15 is 50 plus 2 is 52 laps. Yeah. Wow. I guess because it's, it it's an oval doesn't feel like that many when, when you're under caution. Was that the only predictions we did? I honestly don't remember. Yeah, you said there was going to be someone new on the poll. And uh, there was not. There definitely wasn't. No. No, I missed that one. And we said under 17 on the lead lap. I think one of us said, no, we both agreed that it was going to be under 17 on the lead lap. And I believe only the top seven finished on the lead lap. So, yeah. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Fair. Fair point. Okay. Where do we want to start with the, the race review? Or I guess the weekend review. Frenchie, what did you think of Texas? This is where your third time there. Yeah, second time as a podcast member. Yeah. What'd you think of the weekend? I thought it was really a nice. I don't know. I guess I was surprised that the racing ended up being so good. Basically, it looked like old Texas and it definitely had you kind of biting your nails at some points. Yeah, but that was a good thing because we've been waiting for the PJ one garbage to kind of, I don't know, get worn down over the years of time or the, the, what is it? The path of time, the test of time, something. Yeah. And I guess it did because I mean, you and I watched that practice where they tried to run the second line in and they didn't, I mean, they gave what 12 minutes each for two groups. Yeah. 12 minutes each. Yeah, so that was not very much. So it, I think a big part of it is just that they have extra downforce now, even though it seemed like a lot of them trimmed out. And the weather was cool. 
So, you know, going to Texas in beginning of April or in March, you know, it seems like the best time to do it because Texas is in June is just unbearable. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And I also went to this. So before Frenchie landed, I went to this place called Hard Eight Barbecue, which was probably the best barbecue I've ever eaten. I mean, it was fantastic. That's a bold statement. That is yes. a very bold statement. Actually, when I texted Ashley Keller that I was going to Hard Eight, I think she sent the middle finger emoji to me. So like, it's not just me. Like, it's there was a bunch of team guys there. The IndyCar photography guys were there. It was pretty much like an IndyCar hangout when I was there. But yeah, it was delightful. In the weekend, like everybody said, oh, the racing will be better. But I don't think anybody, including the drivers, expected it to be kind of what it was, which is a good thing. And I'm super pumped. It was the downforce. It was the weather. The rain held off until after the race. Even if they didn't push it up 15 minutes, they would have been fine. Because I don't think it rained until like, I don't know, Frenchie, what would you say, like an hour after the race? Maybe a little more than that, a little less than that. Yeah, we were done with post-race press conferences by the time that it rained. So, yeah, I think we were on the way to dinner, like the pre-airport stuff before it started to rain. I think that's right. So it was a while. But my fear is Texas is still owned by NASCAR. NASCAR race is there not until October, I think. It's one of the playoff races. It's like one of the last ones, maybe the round of eight. So if they produce another stinker for NASCAR, you're going to see a track reconfiguration. You're going to see a repave. You're going to see, uh, you know, both. So, you know, did we get one year of awesome Texas to either have no Texas next year or garbage Texas come back? So I don't know. Like, I'm super pumped with how kind of cool it was, but I'm still, I don't know. I guess a little concerned, but you know, we don't have to worry about that now. That's Jay Fry and Mark Miles and Roger Penske's job to start worrying about that. I hope they are like beating down the door of NASCAR right now to be like, please don't change Texas. Because that's what I, actually, I would do. I have a question as it comes to other series racing on that track, because there were other series racing this weekend, correct? And so NASCAR the track trucks. conditions change throughout based on, you know, pebbles and wear and rubber and everything. Do you think that having another series race alongside this year also changed any of, because it changed the track, do you think it changed any of the racing? So, yes, I, I was pretty skeptical, to be honest with you, like before the weekend, because this is the first year that IndyCar has had a support series of any kind at Texas since pre-COVID. And with how Texas has been and it being NASCAR trucks and a different tire compound, I didn't know if it would work. And Joseph Newgarden and whoever else I asked that question to in the bullpen was like, no, it'll be great. I'm like, I don't I don't know. But everybody said afterwards, at least that I caught that was like, yeah, it wasn't a bad thing at all. Like it definitely. Yes, it definitely added to the help if it wasn't rubbering in the track because it, it was at least. You know, adding in some some rubber maybe a little bit higher maybe not totally the second groove but those trucks ran much higher than indycar ran at any point on sunday so yes it definitely helped frenchie any additional thoughts to that i'm just thinking that maybe having 
trucks there helps to clean off that area. Sure. Right. Sure. So maybe, I mean, you have obviously the, the marbles building up kind of wherever anyone's not running. And if you have cars literally running kind of up farther along the surface of the track of the banking, then maybe it's just cleaner all the way up. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. And you know, that, that, that race was pretty chaotic too. So yeah, things were getting swept up a lot. So it was almost like an extra like track cleaning when, when the NASCAR, those like crazy ass airtight and things they have were going around for the, the tracks uh, for the, for the accidents. So, yeah. All right. So we have Sato who spun out early, got too high in a groove. You know what? Let's just, let's just get right into it. Kyle Kirkwood and Alex Rossi. You know, we don't need to talk. Any of the other accidents were inconsequential for the most part. There's just one car accidents. My opinion has changed since I read the IndyCar rule book. But Sarah, Sarah, you were watching on TV. What did what did you think of the incident and then the penalty? I want to hear your opinion first, because now that you've read the IndyCar rule book, maybe your opinion will squash mine, and I don't want my opinions to be squashed on air. Okay, so I fair. want to hear you first. I mean, that feels like a cop-out, but also if Frenchie, al- if Frenchie allows it, I will go first. Yeah, you can. I know exactly what you're going to say, but I'm pretty sure that Sarah, I- I'm imagining, is on the same page that you and I were yeah. at the track. Yes. And so maybe yes, we can talk about likely. that after you read the. Well, I was going to I was going to start with that it. just to give some yeah. like context on where I'm coming from. Okay. So at the track, I was like. You know, the the outer lane, the pit lane is is divided into two. The outer lane, which is, you know, you're on the on the pit speed limiter, you're getting back to the track or moving down to the inner lane to then go into your pit stall. He makes no effort to go into that slower lane to get into his pit stall. And then when I saw the replay on the monitor at the track, you clearly see, which is still true, as Rossi, his right wheel exits the pit box. So he's in motion. Kirkwood's hands are still not turned at all to even enter the pit box. So I'm thinking, okay, at worst, it's no penalty on either side. At best, and I don't mean at best to like trash either driver, it's probably a penalty on Kirkwood. Obviously, the penalty went through, went to Kirkwood. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, whoops. To Rossi, originally it was called unsafe, unsafe release from the pit box. It has since been amended to contact with another driver in pit lane. Found that out this morning. I think it came out. So everything to me is going, this is... You know, this is a terrible call. I don't get it. There's two things that came out. One was from Charlie Kimball. The other was the IndyCar rulebook. The IndyCar rulebook essentially says the driver in the outer pit lane is given priority over any other. So a driver exiting the pit box or in the slower lane, if he hits the outer driver for any reason, no matter what happens, they're getting the penalty. So I see it. And then I thought to myself, well, this doesn't make any sense because in in Texas, they were all the drivers were in the outer lane. They went from the outer lane to the pit box. So I'm going, well, what what if this doesn't make any sense? Why aren't why aren't they enforcing the rule? Because that was my somebody sent me that video of like all the drivers turning in from the outer 
outer lane into the pit box. I'm going this. I don't understand this at all. And then Charlie Kimball said that because of the way an IndyCar is set up for an oval, specifically Texas, it would have been physically impossible for Kirk Kirkwood to turn into his pit box from the inner lane because of the way the car is set, you know, essentially to just turn left the whole time. It's, you know, it would require a, an insane amount of force to turn his car left and then kind of back right like that from the slower lane. Yeah. I think it's not only camber, but it's also the steering rack, isn't it? Because yes. they don't they yeah. like really slow the steering rack down because it's an oval and you don't want every little tiny inch to. Or yes. you do want you want smaller movements rather than them having to like yank to. Yeah. Right. Okay. So all of that being Sorry. said, to me, this is the perfect, and I think that's what Kimball said, neither penalty should be called because you can't, you can't, Rossi can't predict when Kirkwood is going to turn because to me, it still looks like Kirkwood is past the point where he could have turned in anyway. He wasn't avoiding other cars. It still doesn't look like that. So you can't really blame them for releasing him at that point. But you also can't blame Kirkwood for turning into the pit box where he turned into the pit box. So to me, this is a perfect, like, you know, if they were on the track, you'd call it a racing incident. Mm-hmm. So that's why my vote has been amended to, it should have been no penalty for either side. So I have a question. This penalty based on those regulations that you just said is based off the assumption that Rossi's team that's releasing him knows and is aware of obviously all that strategy the changes to the car the changes of all of that so then why wouldn't rossi's team have made that strategy call just because they're not used to it or that's just something that they forgot or it was just all happening too fast i think you know when you're releasing somebody from the pit box you're not it's such a split second thing you're not looking kind of you're, you're looking out on the track and being like okay nobody's in the slow lane let me you know, release him from the pit box. You know, it's usually the front tire changer who says like, okay, go. So they probably released him. And then at that very moment they released him, Kirkwood starts turning in. So it's just like, it's just bad timing. I, you know, you can't blame Rossi for being released from the pit box. Then you can't blame Kirkwood for turning in then. And I know Frenchie and I have talked about this. My biggest complaint is a confusion on the rule. And also the fact that Kirkwood hasn't once said like, damn, that sucked. Like, yep. sorry, you know, right. it wasn't right. anybody's fault, but like, I'm sorry. It also ruined Alex's race. Like he's just throwing, uh, you know, kind of just throwing Alex under the bus. That doesn't mean we should all go on Twitter and shit all over Kyle Kirkwood, because that's also a little bit extreme and people need to like, remember he is human and it is social media and like, please chill out and stop. Have you but, been on Twitter, Mike? That's like its entire existence. I know. Unfortunately, I know, that's not a good thing. I know I'm being illogical in that statement, but whether he's right or wrong, we still should not be going after him. And I'm going to remind people right. of that. Right, right. I think it's, I mean, when you say, you know, his crew is looking and didn't see anyone in the slow lane, so they released him. But if everyone is coming from the fast lane and going to their pit box, that's something they should be made aware of. So yeah. I now, like, I, I understand the penalty. Do I think it should be there? No, but I think it even goes back to the same conversation that we had last week about Formula One and the FIA is like, if it's in the rule book, you have to do it no matter what. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. I I get the penalty. You know, it says in the rule book the outer lane gets priority. Okay, do I agree with it? No, but it's in the rule book, so like, I can I can live with it. Right. I can tell you that watching it live and obviously not having that information. And I was also scrolling Twitter while watching because obviously, of course you do. And it was dramatic. Like a lot of the feedback and a lot of, you know, people were basically exactly what you said at the original at the beginning was like, why in what world would Rossi be responsible for that? And he got his race ruined for it. So, you know, it's kind of like a pain on pain kind of thing. And I think Rossi's also just like a general likable guy and people want him to do well. So yeah. um, I thought that that was interesting because def- people were definitely up in arms like in the moment. But of oh, course, yeah. obviously, we're not all experts and we don't have the regulations. And that's one of the exciting things about motorsport, right, is not necessarily always knowing everything. But we all are experts, Sarah. That is what Twitter is for, being an expert. Oh, yeah. that's when, If you can pay for your verification, that means you're an expert. <laughs> Frenchy thoughts? Yeah, I have a couple of things. The first is that I think I'm with you now in wanting to see basically no penalty for either party, given what happened. I mean, initially, I think I had IndyCar radio on and IndyCar radio, as well as I think, I believe the TV broadcast, the booth thought that Kirkwood was the one who was going to come out with a penalty out of that incident. So everyone had to correct themselves. It wasn't immediately obvious. I'm just going to touch on the thing that you said. And then I have one more thing basically after that. So the thing about Kyle, not really saying anything about Rossi and coming out and saying, I've been getting so much hate, even though I was hundred percent in the right, blah, blah, blah. It just, it, it makes him look kind of really selfish is the way I'm going to say it. And I don't know if he's just coming off that way because he's, I guess, convinced that it was completely Rossi's fault. Maybe that's the racer mentality. But just to be able to say, you know, oh, we had an incident and neither of us really was intending to do this and it screwed up both of our races, you know, admit that it, it, it also hurt someone else's race. And I think that would go a long way. But the last piece that I'll touch just touch on is that Kirkwood's been involved in a ton of contact and wrecking equipment, like uh, an inordinate amount. So I think that was maybe what caused a lot of people to place blame on him first. And if he doesn't, you know, obviously IndyCar has said he doesn't, uh, like he, he's not to blame in this situation. But <laughs> to me, like, okay, fine. If he's still not to blame, he still finished 27th. Like he, he wrecked more equipment. So there's going to come a point where even if it's not his fault, if he just keeps getting involved in things, you know, I think it says something about the driver. So I'm really hoping he can clean it up and show the speed that everyone is pretty sure that he has, but you know, there's got to come a time when you finish a race without crashing into something or someone. I mean, remember how Roman Grosjean used to be in F1? (laughs) I yeah. was literally just about to say that's, you know, it's giving Roman 2019, 2020. And Roman, always a really likable guy. Like yeah. Kyle Kirkwood seems to be a nice guy, nice kid. And it's, yeah. but it's, you know, when you're maybe that aggressive, uh, I mean, we consider Rossi to be aggressive. And I don't remember him ever really having this kind of an issue. 
I also think like going to your point of what's the, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, you know, Kirkwood's history or rep- reputation. Yeah. Is, you know, kind of like how all the craziness of you know, pre IndyCar Santino Ferrucci has continued to follow him, even if maybe some of it is blown out of proportion or, you know, whatever we've talked about that before. We don't need to go down that path again. And that still follows him to this day, no matter what, right or wrong, always. So, yeah, you know, just just we'll we'll move on from that point before, you know, I get accused of, you know, taking money from Mr. Ferrucci in, in a past life or whatever it was a couple of years ago. Let's see. What else do we have? The the Devlin and Graham Ray Hall incident. And then we're going to talk about Ray Hall. Does I don't Sarah, I don't know if TV showed it or Frenchie, if you saw it in the media center or whatnot. The only thing I heard is like I only saw the replay and the replay wasn't particularly great. Devlin was on the radio as per usual, screaming uh, incessantly and (laughs) multiple times throughout the race, by the way. And he had a damn good race until that happened. Like definitely probably the best drive he's had of his career by far, you know, regardless of the fact that, that he crashed out. Where'd he qualify? It was, it was good. Like, was it 12th, like 7th or something? Oh, okay. Never mind. I'll try to look and see where he qualified. I could, I have this, I have the results right here. He qualified 12th. I, I nailed it. 12th. Oh, okay. So anyway, you know, and he was screaming effing Renus VK. He's driving unsafe. I don't know if you could see. Did Renus do anything? That I didn't led? see Renus the entire yeah. race. Like I didn't. I didn't hear about him <laughs> once. Okay, Sarah. So didn't that even... was well. That was the thing about like the TV um, broadcast was like most of it was literally just Pato and Joseph. Like they didn't show anything else, and it was like almost getting frustrating a little bit at the end because we were like hearing these things, and again, I was on Twitter, so like. There are these things that we know were existing, but the TV just was not showing anything besides Pato and Joseph. I noticed that on the monitors at the track too, which is. I mean, to be fair, they were constantly yes. battling. It was a yes. good first second battle literally the entire time, but there is a slew of other drivers there that are not too far away. It's not like they're on the other side of a three mile <laughs> track. Like they're literally right there. So it's like almost hard not to show that stuff, you know? It's it's kind of like the on occasion when F1 shows Max Verstappen like nine miles ahead of somebody and not correct. like the midfield battles. Correct. Absolutely correct. So or even like um I was watching the NASCAR, I think it was that was two weeks ago. I don't know, maybe it was this weekend. I don't even remember. Everything's blurring together. And like even for the NASCAR Cup, they were literally just showing the front of the grid. Like they were not yep. showing anyone else for the rest of the race. And I'm like, what are you doing, people? We're here to like watch everyone. I mean, obviously, of course, for a second, if there's a battle, great. But like if you're just watching the same person in first for like 20 laps, what's the point? Hard to argue. Frenchie, any thoughts on that incident? Yeah, from what I saw in the media center, which I think our feed is slightly different than the TV. TV. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like TV, but then it's not delayed. And I think we see like we don't have commercials in there. So we see everything basically. So I guess it's like the static cameras. I don't know. Sucks to suck. Sorry, go ahead. Who was that? Is that to Sarah? No, that was to everybody who complains about commercials on TV. 
That was definitely to me because I was watching on Peacock and like every two seconds it was like, we'll be back shortly. And I'm like, please, you are not even showing a commercial. Just show me the race. <laughs> oh, yeah. Peacock but, is like that. It just goes to blank screen like a screen Yeah, saver. it's like, we'll be back to coverage shortly. And I'm like, you could be back to coverage now. Yeah. But, sorry. Because I, I paid for this. So th there shouldn't be ads on exactly. it. But so basically what I, what I think happened is Devlin hit the wall somewhere. Like he, he bumped yeah. up against the wall. And then I think he obviously broke some piece of his suspension because he went down the track and looked like he was trying to make it into pit lane, but he couldn't turn. And so he ends up just going up the track and obviously Graham's trying to avoid him and it wasn't possible to avoid him. And so Graham was actually extremely calm. And what's the other word? Probably because they had such a dismal weekend. His weekend ended early and he was like, I can get the hell out of this goddamn state. <laughs> no, but he he didn't blame Devlin at all. Usually Graham is a person to kind of be like, he'll he'll call people out for the way that they drive if he really thinks that they did anything. So he obviously, there was no blame to be placed on Devlin. And it's unfortunate that, like you said, probably his best performance it was just kind of ruined by this yeah. incident. Yeah. Although Graham, like you said, was put out of his misery. So on that note, I don't think we expected Ray Hall as a whole, as an organization, to be as dreadful as they were this weekend. You know, we, you and I talked last week about kind of being a little worried about Jack Harvey with Lena Slunquist now testing at Texas, which was yesterday. Earlier today. Yeah, oh, earlier no, yeah, today. Yesterday, you're right. Okay, earlier both. this week by the time you listen to it. But you know, I immediately grew worried. So I was looking at the IndyCar app, which has live telemetry while during qualifying and lap one of qualifying turn one. Most drivers are 99% on the throttle, hundred percent on the throttle. Jack Harvey about midway through turn one was about 45% on the throttle. That's super concerning. And I think on lap two, yeah, it was lap two, same corner. He went, Guys, I can't give it more. I have no confidence in this car. And that is just like, as a race car driver, when you don't have confidence in your car, like clearly you're going to let off the gas. And then I thought, at first I thought, uh, Jack, like it's a Jack issue, you know, like you and I were talking about last week. And then you would go to Lungard and Lungard was no more than 60% on the throttle in turn one, maybe 70 and Ray Hall was 50 to 62. And Graham is like, we, I think we, we can call him at this point. Like he's excellent on ovals. Yes. He's a good oval driver. I mean, he's a pretty good driver all around, but I think correct. He, he, you never count him out on an oval. He lap two held it. He held it lap one longer than Lungard and Harvey did because he has the experience. Lap two, he did hold it 100% throttle the entire way, but still. I mean, they made a couple key additions in the offseason in the engineering ranks and whatnot and team personnel that I'm, I'm forgetting about now. But this was as bad a weekend. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
Have you ever wanted to know how to win a Formula One Grand Prix? I mean, really know. Know about the driver tactics from the cockpit, the strategy calls from the pit wall, and even the mind games in the paddock. There's a lot more that goes into winning a Grand Prix than just 90 minutes of racing. So every week on the F1 Strategy Report, we're taking a deep dive into the decisions that shape every result. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato, and every week I'm joined by an expert guest from the paddock to talk through the big calls that won the race and the missteps that resulted in bitter defeat. Before every race, we'll look back at the previous year's result and consult the current form guide, and we'll be in your feed after every Grand Prix dissecting the outcome and what it means for the championship. So for your regular hit of Formula One analysis, subscribe to the F1 Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast on the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name's Michael Laminato, and I'll catch you after the chequered flag. And from a, you know, a non-Foyt or non, I don't know, Carlin team (laughs) in... I don't know, a long, especially for a team with three cars that were all awful. Have we seen a weekend like this in a long time from anybody else? No, and I think it's kind of scary for them that Junkos or Junkos like really wiped the floor with them. Like yeah. they, they did really, even Augustine Canapino, who is literally an oval rookie, finished 12th. Yeah. And like either the dude is mega talented, which is possible because, I mean, he's coming on very strong. But th- that car is giving them way more confidence than the Ray Hall car. And that's a much smaller organization that has been in IndyCar for m- like how many years less? Many years less than the Ray Hall organization has. Let's just say 20 years less. Yeah, it, it's if not, it's more. not good. Sarah, do you have any thoughts on the dismal performance of Graham Ray Hall, Christian Lungard, and Jack Harvey this weekend or the team as a whole? No particular thoughts. Um, I mean, I think usually you see these types of things happen when there is either massive change in regulation or massive change in like, you know, engine provider, whatever it is. Which never happens in IndyCar. (laughs) Obviously never happens in IndyCar. Hasn't changed in 20 years. That's what I think is interesting though, is like for a team, company, brand, whatever, that's been in IndyCar for this long, how have they not how do they not have it down to a science and a formula if it's so consistent and nothing changes and they know the track? Like, I don't understand. And it's not, you know, Graham has won there before is obviously a different arrow kit era, but, and, and Lungard. Yeah. God, they were rough, but Lungard, I think he was decent at ovals last year. I know he, I think Texas, I don't think he, I think he retired from Texas last year. I think it was a brake issue, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, I think it was confusing and concerning that Ray Hall said, I heard it during the race or qualifying, I forget. It was at the end of qualifying. And then he said it post-race that the car wasn't accelerating. So what did they, was it, it was, it was definitely gearing in qualifying because he said he didn't get to sixth gear once during qualifying. Every other car was practically running in sixth gear the entire qualifying. But what how does the car not accelerate and now that's not like a engineering mechanical question but like what did they screw up other than the gearing that's what i mean that's my question of like what change you know what did they do sorry frenchy go ahead no i was just gonna say that looking at lungard's finishes on ovals last season texas he was 19th and he was 19th again this year uh at indy he was 18th 
Iowa, he had a top 10 in the first race and was 26th in the second. And then at Gateway, he was 19th. So I wouldn't say that his oval record is particularly strong. No, but he's, he's, you know, you don't fault him so much for that at this point. He wasn't totally inept like we've seen. You know, Carlos no, I mean, Huertas. The guys have, from you know, Denmark, the, he didn't even know what an yeah. oval was probably before yeah. he came over here and saw them. Like, yeah, he was totally on the the like European ladder. So. Last thing before we pick our driver of the weekend, Carlos Huertas, <laughs> Carlos Huertas and the oval flu when he all of a sudden disappeared from oval racing and then IndyCar three weeks later. So fun fact, Sarah, go watch the 2015 was a Houston one where it's this one. Um, 13 or 15 when he won at Houston, when there was the Houston street race. Yeah, I think it was probably the most strange person to ever win an IndyCar race. Yeah, it really was. It was, I think, 14, actually. I got the years around it. I was close. Yeah, because <laughs> I wasn't wasn't 14. Was that the year that? That might have been, honestly, the year in the second race that Dario had his crash. No, his crash was 2013. Oh, it was 2013? Okay. Yeah, I'm positive. I'm positive of that one. Okay. Anyway, the last thing I wanted to touch on before we make our picks for the for last weekend, Yunkos. Has is is Augustin Canapino, who was, you know, a touring car driver I don't know, the last 15 years. Scott McLaughlin's success as, you know, a former touring car driver, now an IndyCar. Is it going to cause more teams maybe to look at these touring car, maybe not veterans, but touring car experience to go, maybe we should give them a chance. Maybe they do have what it takes to drive an IndyCar or NASCAR, you know, something along those lines. Yeah, Frenchie. I would also just add Robert Wickens to that, given that he yes. did so much of his career in DTM. So, I mean, it's not necessarily a touring car, but it's like super touring cars, basically, right? Yeah. Now they're GT3 cars, and the series has lost yeah. all of its teeth, basically, unfortunately. <laughs> Sorry, Gerhard Berger. But, you know, it, it was really cool back in the day. Yeah. So what do you think? About touring car drivers coming over to yeah. do you think it's IndyCar? possible do you think it's a I, plausible idea i just think it shows that touring cars and like supercars all that kind of stuff is harder than it looks and deserves more credit especially because they're basically throwing around super heavy cars and i know in british um the british touring car series btc btcc right yeah British touring car championship they have weight ballast for like if you do well you get weight ballast and you, they like they reverse grids like it's not easy mark blundell has raced in it and unfortunately i don't think he's done very well and like that's a formula one driver nigel mansell did maybe some races after his f1 career it's not something that you could just jump in and start destroying people so hey i think and I'm going to make fun of you for the way you said his name because it's not Augustine. It's Augustine. Listen, I'm, I'm from, I'm from America. So, you know, he gets the America present, uh, pronunciation. That's not an excuse. Just saying. I know. 
I know it's not a good excuse. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, he learned English in four months. We can pronounce his name right. Like he learned our language. Listen, he learned English in four months. I haven't learned English in 35 years. So, you know, there's (laughs) something wrong with this with this picture. Also, I need to figure out how to say the the name of that team correctly because because I hear you the way you say it and then I sometimes I think I pick it up and then I really think we're not saying it correctly so I'm going to find out what because I think it's Juncos like as you would say the uh, J like you would yeah, in Spanish yeah, yeah. instead of yeah. Juncos but I got to find out for sure okay Sarah thoughts I actually have a question to your question if you would allow it I might have a question to to your question to my original question Yes, continue. I would hate that because <laughs> I, my ADHD can't follow. Um, obviously, I I am a novice as it comes to the IndyCar, IMSA, WAC, Touring Car, et cetera, world. I've watched F1 for 10 years. That's my life. That's what I know. And that was my bubble. Very ignorantly now, obviously, I realize because now that I'm into all these series, I'm like in love and it's amazing. So I think my question for you and I don't even know if there's an answer to it, but with all of these different series that exist around the world, right? And a lot of them, you see a lot of overlap. So F1 drivers going to other series, other series going to F1, you know, WEC, IMSA, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Is this, it only makes sense for them to be pulling from touring cars in my mind, because even though it's very, very different racing, which I understand, like it's very innately different racing, and there's different skills that you need to tap into. A lot of those skills are also transferable. So, for example, you know, why a, you know, Pato is being groomed for the Formula Series, right? Or why can you can throw Kimmy into literally any car anywhere and he's going to do well because he just yeah. has those skills, right? So I think it kind of only makes sense. And of course, ladders are really important to get young people into certain series if that's what they're interested in so like if you want to go to nascar you obviously do arca you know blah blah blah, whatever right so i think the overlap is a good thing in my mind and i think we're only maybe i'm maybe i'm answering my own question here but i think we're only going to see more and more overlap with different series now that racing in general is just growing in popularity massively with of course, Drive to Survive and that whole wave of whatever on the side. Um, that is only going to really, in my mind, it only makes sense for all of the crossover. It only makes sense for them to be going and looking at these other series and tapping into it and finding talent that they think are going to do well. Agreed. I think my keying on something French, said about like the heavy touring car, like a heavy touring car. I'm guessing they have power steering. I don't particularly no but it's a pretty heavy son of a bitch so a a pretty heavy car probably translates pretty well to like an indie car having no power steering which then obviously you know they'd be fine in nascar with a heavy car and you know if they want to do formula one you know has power steering and so i'm sure they'd you know pick up on it obviously i don't think we have any touring car drivers in formula one that at least at this time but yeah, interesting thought, and I saw somebody else talking about it on Twitter the other day, so I figured I would throw it here. Okay, so looking yeah, at... Power steering. Yeah. Okay, okay, thanks. That being said, let's go to driver of the weekend. Sarah, you get to pick first. I have two, which you is... Can, you can only hard. pick one. 
Um, okay. Well, I'm still going to say what my follow-up is. My follow-up okay. is obviously David Malukas because he's a co-host and he did really well. Okay. So, fair. Obviously big support. Respect. Um, no, I mean, as it probably comes to zero surprise to both of you, I loved watching Pato challenge Joseph this weekend. Like I, it's just like the, obviously being at, um, St. Pete and watching him come in that like very narrow second and then him again just like battling constantly today it's just a matter of time until he starts winning and then winning consistently and I'm very excited to see that happen it's unfortunate that he every time he does get second he seems like so disappointed and sad I just wish that he would be happy and celebrate but I guess that's not in his blood so yeah I mean I think he's my driver just because he was like constantly keeping that fight going respect Frenchie I'm just going to touch on Pato real quick because look at what Will Power did last season, basically winning only one race and being extremely consistent all season. And I think someone needs to just bring that up to Pato and say, you are shaping a championship drive right now by finishing on the podium every time. Yeah. He's yeah. just like so excited and ready and willing to win that he's just disappointed in himself. And you can like tell that from his personality that he just like beats himself up for it versus like, you are fantastic. You're proving yourself. You're proving your worth. You're living up to your sponsors. Like you're, you know, you're doing everything right. And, um, I think like there's nobody else there beating him up. I think he's the only one doing it to himself, but that's a philosophical thing that philosophical, philosophical ideal that I actually don't know him and I don't know his personal life, but that's what I gauge from the internet. I dig it. And my pick <laughs> I'm torn. I can't pick two because I just told Sarah she can't pick two. Whichever one you don't pick, I'll pick that. Eat it. Oh, wait, Eat you didn't. my dust. No, I didn't pick. I just commented on what Sarah said. No, you you go ahead then. Okay, then uh, my pick is going to be, you know what, just so I can say his name again, Augustine Canapino. Okay. How made, crazy is it pick either. Easier. for <laughs> a guy who, this is his first oval and it's, one of the most daunting ovals you could possibly take on. And he finished in 12th above oval specialist, Ed Carpenter. That, that is either Ed Carpenter is not really an oval specialist <clears throat> or, <clears throat> or Canapino is just pretty incredible. So, uh, you know, I, I gotta give him a lot of respect for that. And I think, like this is an excellent start. So I'm going to go slightly kind of maybe off the radar. With this one. No, <laughs> just <kidding>. no. <laughs> I am going to go with Marcus Erickson. Didn't qualify. Well, nice. qualified 16th finished eighth. Kind of like alluding to what Frenchie said about Pado. Same thing. Came home with decent points. It has a good championship standing after a couple races, which is, you know, what you need is you kind of start to get towards the the middle part of the season in a couple months. So, you know, it's one of those, again, bank the points for later in the season. So he he got the most out of a, you know, not great performing car this weekend and brought a home an eighth. Do we have any IndyCar news? Yes, I believe we do have a little bit. You know, Lundquist. But we also, 
Catherine Legg tested at Texas. It went well, you know, like every test does. It was great and amazing. And they ran tons of laps and did awesome things. And, you know, the car was great. The sponsors were sponsoring. And is the press release right in front of you? Or is this just off the cuff? Oh, totally off the top of my head. I haven't even looked at the press release. Yeah. I could probably read the press release in my sleep at this point for a test. Exactly. Without it, without you even having read it before, you no, know, I could just, says. you know, change the driver name, change the sponsor name and change the check name. And then the rest is the same. Yep. Anything? Yeah. I mean, I don't know how much of this is news and people probably heard about some of this over the weekend, but, um, Brian Hurd is no longer on Colton Herta's car as his strategist. Yep. And who did they move over? Scott Harner from Kirkwood's car who came from Ganassi, right? Or Foyt. One of those. Yeah, I forget which. It might be. I think he's he been may have worked both. for both. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. And then I guess apparently, okay, Texas has not released its crowd size for the race, but apparently they said that it's this built a lot of momentum. It's a lot of PR speak, but essentially it sounds uh... like it's moving in the right direction for Texas. I got they... multiple texts from multiple parties this weekend saying, why does the grandstand look so empty? Oh, what is no, going on? Is it COVID? It did, but it's looked worse in the past. Yeah. Yeah. Like this was a, this was a step in the right direction. Yeah. It, it, the picture, even for this like article that I found with, it was, dismal. you know, about it being, yeah, yeah. It's like so many empty seats. But, you know, I, I guess that's deep NASCAR country and it's also a massive track. So I don't know. I think they're going to take what they can get. I, I'm sure it loses money every time. I read, again, this doesn't mean too much in the grand scheme of things, that it was a double digit percentage increase. Yeah. Last year versus this year in terms of how many, I mean, last year there was literally <laughs> no, there's like, Sarah, there's that much. Yeah. Like. French and I joked that there were like eight people there and you know, two of them were him and I. And all of them were in the same family. Yes. <laughs> and the other was Scott Dixon's wife hanging out in the stands. Yeah, it was. Oh my God. It was absolutely crickets. Yes. That is really interesting because I wonder then how, again, with the constant growth of racing in general, I mean, hopefully that would just continue to build momentum in the next few years. And again, pending, they don't completely bulldoze the entire track or whatever it looks like. Um, you have to build like a Hot running. Wheels ramp for NASCAR to go on or something. <laughs> just it's like a I would not gimmick. be against that. That would be freaking <laughs> hilarious. Did you see Tony Bredinger did a collab with Hot Wheels and it was fire. So, hey, I'm in support. Again, NASCAR, but whatever. Um, The... The thing that I was just going to say is basically that the autograph session was apparently packed from all the photos I saw and from us yeah. walking by it. Like it was a long line to get drivers autographs and Pato did a really good job bringing people to the track this weekend. Obviously he's got that Texas is his second home basically. Um, and I don't know how many people he brought, but there were so many people in Pato gear. Like it was, it was pretty impressive. I, I think he did a really good job pushing his brand for the weekend and getting people to come out. Like he should get a cut of whatever the race made. <laughs> I, like the race didn't, well, obviously we just discovered the race didn't make any money. But secondly, I also think that a lot of his sponsors are based in Texas as well. So I'm sure that that helped too. Like if mm-hmm. like 
with like box sales or sweet sales or whatever. Hopefully. Yeah. And, and apparently they sold out of merch. And before we wrap it up, I did get an email with some like Texas stats that were pretty amazing. And it's been posted on Twitter today. Frenchie's waving his finger at you. You need to wait. I don't want to wait. I was that's why I was waving my finger so that you, we wouldn't have to edit this part out. But maybe Jose is just going to leave it in to spite you now, Sarah. hundred <laughs> percent. I was just going to say we have to pick who did a like disappoint thing this weekend. We uh, never got to that. Yeah, go ahead. You start. Sorry okay. for the interruption. I just saw you waving a little white flag over there, and I felt bad. <laughs> He was defeated. It was like when the kid raised their hands in school and then they don't get picked on. Like every single time they raise their hand every single time and they don't get picked on. That was like the vibe you were giving and it was breaking my heart. So had to interrupt, but feel free to edit host. Mm, probably not going to. Alrighty. Because I, it's it's fine. It's but everybody, everybody, you know, it's normal. Bring some character. All right, yeah. Frenchie, you can go now. We'll shut up. Yeah. So I have to mention this and then I have to mention one other thing, host, before we close. Maybe you were going to mention it, but Nope. Disappointment of the weekend, I'm going to say is probably hmm, Stingray Rob. Okay. I mean, I just really didn't he crash kind of on his own? Yeah, he he got too high in the marbles and, and lost it. Yeah, I mean, just two races where he's crashed out in a row to start out his IndyCar career is not, you know, if, I, if I'm going to give Kyle Kirkwood crap for wrecking equipment, I'm going to call out Stingray Rob too for doing it and hope that both of them can save money for their respective teams moving forward. <laughs> Fair. Okay. Sarah, disappointment of the weekend? I don't like being disappointed in people. They all tried their best. Yeah, we like all of them. I, we just have to pick somebody. I, I mean, we. I'm not saying that about Stingray because I have anything against him. It's just got to pick somebody who, you know, usually if you're disappointed in someone, you had decent expectations for them, right? So look at it that way. Yeah. Can you come back to me? Can you go do yours first and then talk to me? Yeah, I... T- I- <laughs> I will go with Felix Rosenquist again. That's going to be my other choice. Yeah. Again, such a good qualifying effort for the second year in a row at Texas. For the second year in a row at Texas, he wasn't even close to the last qualifier. You know, I think he qualified. He was the eighth out of twenty-eight or tenth out of twenty-eighth, or you know, he was pretty early on because he he, you know, got involved in that wreck early on in in St. Pete. And then by the end of lap two, he was in sixth position by midway through the race. He was in 10th, you know, eighth to 10th. And then, you know, he, he hit a bump or, or lost it in turn three or turn four, you know, up, up too high and, and went into the wall. And it's just another questionable result by a guy in a, in a contract year who needs a good result. He's Charlie Brown of IndyCar. Like he yeah. just seems to have this awful luck and you feel bad for the guy like he's pretty likable yes and definitely it just it, it doesn't seem like he's ever doing something to deserve what happens to him it just seems to be like he encounters this awful luck i guess connor is known for doing that too but at this point can you just have bad luck for that long i don't know i'll, I'll leave that as a question for the listeners if it can just be attributed to luck 
Yep. Fair enough. If, then it's a curse at that point. Like it's not just luck. It becomes a curse yeah. if you do it for long enough. Okay, Sarah. Now you have to be disappointed in somebody. Okay, that's fine. Um, just gonna say okay. like the stewards or something. <laughs> that's actually a good one. Can I steal that? No. So we're always disappointed in them. I'm gonna preface my disappointment with understanding. I understand, and I'm also slightly impressed, but also whatever. Okay, I'm just gonna say it. The fact that. Grosjean does not know ovals. That's not his world. That's not his life. But he was kind of a mess. Like he ended, I think he ended the race in like a pretty good spot. But you could tell that like he just did not know his bearings whatsoever. And it was just kind of messy. But he doesn't know ovals. That's not his world. So like you got to give him a second. Or like two years. Yeah, well, he's on two years. Exactly. I think with Grosjean... He, I texted my dad at one point. I'm like, I'm if I was another driver, I would be scared to be around him right now. Because at one point right. he pushed Malukas into the grass. He touched Malukas, right. which then ended his own race. <laughs> and you know he finished, he finished 14th. And it's just it's things like that. Like he just seems a little bit like unhinged, which is you know. And I think that that's him. like why it's. A little disappointing because obviously, A, I just love him and I want him to do well. But B, it's like with IndyCar, when he left Formula One and he went to IndyCar and he started performing a lot better in IndyCar than he had been performing in F1. I was like, okay, amazing. Cool. Like he's not crashing all the time. This is fantastic. Um, But then watching him on the ovals like gives me anxiety and stresses me out. So that's why he's my disappointment, even though I understand and I love him. Yep, I I get that. Okay, now we can get to my last point. No, no, your your last point is invalid. I'm I'm making your last point invalid. No, I'm kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> Just wanted to say I, that. I don't think anyone is going to be able to, at this point, maybe like I think if you're listening to this on Thursday, this is the last day to vote, right? Or voting has closed for the. It closes on the sixth. Yeah, so that's Thursday. Yeah. So if you haven't voted, please vote. This is the last time we're going to ask because the voting is obviously going to close. You do have to create an account, which is kind of frustrating. I understand. But there's a box you can uncheck and then they can't email you. So you can escape their surveillance or whatever. Or you can make an alias or something. I don't know. Or send it to spam. Like We're just asking you to vote because if you like our show, we want to kind of see how much people like our show and if it's enough to get an award. Yeah. What he said. You can also say, isn't it so exciting that we're in this award? And if you want to stay up to date with all the news of motorsports, they will do that too. How exciting more motorsports content. Or you could just go with my approach and be like, just, just do the vote and don't complain when I ask you to do the vote. No, you can't like, threaten people or like be rude that way you have to like we're, we're, we're gonna like have like and say please good cop polite cop and then sarah with like good vibes cop so you know well, we're no, all gonna go cop, polite cop and sarah who was which one were you in that the uh, i'm the mean i'm sorry the good cop the bad cop and the good vibes ah, cop okay i'll take the good vibes cop but i was the bribing cop because when i posted about it i said we're gonna give away something if you vote and then i was like no we're actually not we, i actually bribing. have stuff to give away like i really do have stuff that i want to eventually give away but every time i've tried to 
start or figure out like a some kind of a contest or like a way for people to like follow us or like get you know whatever it just seems gimmicky but so i'll eventually just have to do something because i have a bunch of random indycar stuff or racing stuff in general like posters all this kind of stuff that i want to give away like hats posters just stuff that i can't sell and it, it needs to go to a racing person's home instead of being sold on ebay where they take like an inordinate 15%. amount of my profits yeah yeah you guys should have done that this is why you have me. I'm your marketing person. You should have done like a bribing thing of like, if you vote and you submit your name in this Google form, we will pull a name out of a hat at, after voting and you can be sent like all of this stuff. Well, well, if, yeah. I don't know if we'd be able to confirm if someone actually voted. You could, you could take a screenshot when you vote. There's a, like that it's little the like honor you vote system or that. Okay. Yeah. If you lie about voting, you're a terrible human being. I also don't think anyone that follows you, although, okay, maybe I'll take this back. Most of the people that don't, that follow you are supporters of you and want you to win. You'd like Fair. to think. Fair. You would hope so. Do they release the rankings? Like, can we find out if we finish like fourth or something? I don't, I don't know. We've never made it this far, so I've never paid attention before. Cause that'd be interesting. Cause the other, I mean, there are some podcasts that we're up against that are, you know, I would call us. <laughs> smaller like that are yeah. a massive network of hundreds of thousands of followers and but they're not pushing it they're not push mm. like i've been like looking on some of the other socials and they're not yeah. talking about it at all so like even no. though they have a massive following oh well some are even on the exists. podcast oh like on the yeah. race i hear it on their show like they're not pushing okay, it on their yeah, social yeah. but they they say on their I don't, and I don't even know if WTF1 exists in its form that is nominated anymore. So that's kind of funny that they might Ooh. probably still win. Um, yeah. And the, I think the hosts that were on it left. So yeah, whatever. I'm, let's not get into that. Yeah. I think if they do release rankings and we get second, can we host a press conference and be sad? Like the yeah. other second place winner that yeah. was previously mentioned. Yeah, we can have a Pato style press conference. Thank you. I would appreciate you can invite that. Him. Yeah, we'll invite Pato. Can we get Mission Tacos and <laughs> some um, what's the energy drink? Lit liquidity something. <laughs> oh, you know I thought like he was sponsored drink? by Electrolit. Electrolit, thank you. That's it. Yeah, we can get some electrolytes. I don't know if that's an energy drink. I think it's just like a. It's like hydration. You know what? You yeah. understood what I meant. I do. Um, okay, so yes, we can have a Zoom taco and electrolyte party. Uh, press conference oh yeah in person so i don't know whenever we all hang out again i actually whenever... uh, this we should be talking about this separately but i'm probably not going to monaco anymore so i actually might be around for the indy 500 <gasps> but we can yes. discuss that at a later date but also uh, sad for you that you're not going to monaco but also you should come no it's fine because i think i'm going to Le Mans instead oh that's uh, okay yeah which i would rather be at by a mile so well i but... can add you to our indy 500 credential list i just submitted it but i, I can i have time to add I mean, oh, all we'll, unconfirmed, so I'll keep you posted. We'll we'll talk about that later. I wanted to wrap up <laughs> five minutes ago. They all want to hear our like, housekeeping. Like, a solid <laughs> yeah. twenty minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, this is like, why we deserve an, an award. Hour-long podcast. First, oh, we... like, two seconds of racing. The the rest of it's just crap talking. This is definitely our longest IndyCar episode in a very long time. And how? Like, what percentage do you think we actually talked about IndyCar? Sixty-five percent like i would go more than more than half of this i mean yes so we're like 
the first turn, not full throttle, 65%. Yeah, we're, we're definitely, to the, 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 the title is, this episode was not full throttle. Rip. But All anyway. Right. You can finish now. Texas notes that came out, it's been on social media today, but the 28 entries were the most since 2011. 26 lead changes were the most since 2000, the third most ever at Texas, and the most at a non-Indy 500 race since the IR18 was bodywork was introduced five years ago. Blah, blah, blah. 1,070 on-track passes, the most in seven years, second highest total since IndyCar began. Tracking on-pass packs passes in 2006. Pato Award led all drivers with 93 on-track passes, the most since TK in 2016 with 94. Uh, 4,439 passes for position. 169 of those were in the top five. 256 were in the top 10. Five different race teams led laps this past weekend in Texas, and seven different teams were represented in the top 10. On that note, we got back to racing, and we're going to end the episode. Running should be simple. Just put on your shoes and go. And yet, when you try to learn about how to get better at it, especially as you age, you're confronted with conflicting advice, complicated workouts, and confusing nutrition trends that just won't work for you. On The Planted Runner, I'll share exactly how to run faster, longer, and feel great doing it at any age because you don't have time to waste. I'm Coach Claire Bartholik, and I went from not running at all in my late 30s to finishing a marathon in 2.58 at age 42, all on a plant-based diet. I've helped hundreds of runners achieve new personal records well into their 60s and even 70s with science-backed training, plant-based nutrition, and proven mental strength techniques. Each episode of The Planted Runner is like a private coaching session on the run where you'll learn from me and the guests I interview. You'll get actionable lessons to help you become a better runner every week and reach goals you never thought possible. Whether you're training for your first 5K or your 50th marathon, take along the planted runner on your next run. Let me show you how your best running is still ahead of you.